Hi, I'm Akhil Arora. And I'm Rohan Nahar. Welcome to The Long Take. This week, we're discussing The Woman in the Window, the new Amy Adams star, which is about a woman who doesn't want to leave her house, something we can all relate with these days, for obviously very different reasons, because this movie was made donkeys years ago almost, uh, and it's now coming out, which is sort of, I think we're going to talk about eventually uh, while we discuss the movie. But what I want to start off with is almost like in a backwards fashion. We do spoilers here, so that's never an issue. But the movie is essentially bonkers in the last 20 minutes for me. Are you with me on that, Rohan? Oh yeah, it like goes, it's like a bizarre third act. It goes insane. But um, that's because they like reshot it, right? If I'm not wrong. Yeah, so that's in a way tied to the delay I mentioned uh, is because uh, apparently the test screenings were not very good. And then they, I think they bought on Tony Gilroy to like do rewrites. Um, I mean, replacing the original writer Tracy Letts, who stars as the therapist for the therapist. And then, yeah, so whatever changes they made, apparently the original cut was confusing for audiences. So it clearly feels like a case of like dumbing it down and making it more of a pulpy thriller. And then we're left with something that is neither there nor anywhere. I mean, uh, like it just seeing what they came up with makes me like shudder at the thought of what they had like initially like how bad was the initial cut that oh, they okay. tested and right i was actually going in like a different direction i was like wondering like maybe you know it's one of those cases where uh i don't know what happened with some other movie which i'm forgetting now it's not not coming to my mind probably but, like Tony movies are... himself did it. he's <laughs> like a career reshooter <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but he did a much better job with Rogan, honestly. Uh, but that's a different topic to deal with, obviously. Uh, but I was, what I was mentioning or trying to talk about was that, you know, there are movies which are sort of very confusing for audience. Like, they're sort of like, you know, in a way, it's like sort of like almost like brain puzzles. And then Hollywood studios come in, they're like, no, 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 we have to like appeal to more people. So let's dumb it down. So like, I was actually thinking maybe they, it's almost a case of, you know, like too many cooks in the kitchen, like producers came in and take, took away the, you know, the creative rights from the director and the writer who were probably doing, trying to do something like different and could have been puzzling or sure, it's possible that even that might not have worked, but at least it could have been like, you know, challenging and not this standard thriller I mean, I, version. I think that's exactly what happened because that's what uh, was mentioned in that Scott Rudin article, right? Right. The, so there were multiple Scott Rudin articles and one of Naturally. them uh, yeah, had this piece of information buried like 70% down, hmm. uh, which was basically, it was his call, right? This is his movie and it was his call to kind of take it away from Joe Wright and uh, bring Tony Gilroy into the fold, which I feel like is such a, like, it's it's a lost cause situation, right? I don't think he thought that he could improve it much because, like, what do you do with this? Like, it's not... Justice League where you can afford to spend like 30 million dollars and reshoot like significant portions of it. This is basically a compromise situation. Like what do you do when you have a rubbish? And this happens so often. Like I can count like 10 movies in the last two years that have done this, you know, like from everything from like that Predator movie that Shane Black did where they reshot the third act hmm. uh, to like that gangster squad movie where they reshot the third act yeah. because of the shooting I mean it's just it's for multiple reasons they do this because they can afford to and this one is just like bonkers because clearly no one cared like because at the very least there was uh, something that he was going for in those first like hour or so I would yeah. say and then that 
thing like that's completely like discarded in those final 20 minutes which is there in the book as well like to be fair yeah but this is like just bonkers yeah i think it's i don't really know how the book honestly works like from the little i've read about it i have another book full disclosure uh so what a little i've read about the book it's your sort of standard you know pulpy thriller essentially it's not trying to be like a uh you know high minded sort of like it's yeah sure like even the book is very much inspired by like hitchcockian movies and all that in film noir like so all those sort of references that are that the movies also making are not like invented by the director or writer they they basically sort of being you know taken from the book and in fact the book has a lot more references like i i stumbled upon a list of like the references the book does and apparently it's like the list is like 50 or 70 long uh and yeah, yeah. they so they've I've, taken out like some plots from the, the book, movie yeah. as well Oh, okay, so you might want to then shed more light light on that. This book is fantastic. I mean, it has its own history, which is like incredible. Like, if you want to get into that, but the book itself, as like this piece of whatever art, is fantastic. Uh, like one of the better examples of this boom in like whatever housewife thriller genre. <laughs> But, uh, white women are very bored so at home so we will give them fantastic backstory lives around it yeah yeah it's like uh, these books are about white women f- intended for white women you know yeah and uh, so it's as far as that subgenre goes it's very nice uh, and yeah you're right it has multiple references like that was one of the things that i really liked about the book in fact because every evening she would curl up and watch a movie hmm. and like they would discuss the movie like she would talk about the movie and like it was like a real passion for her hmm. and you know obviously would go into more detail because it's a book and you can like get inside the character's mind and all that which is totally like done away here so what jo writes on instead of like having the person speak about her uh, you know love for movies and old movies in particular he has like visual homages that he does yeah. to like hitchcock and stuff which is interesting and makes sense that's exactly what you would do and uh, but then i don't know man it's it's like it's chopped up very haphazardly it feels like they had more you know like it was more of a slow burn originally is the sense that i got because it's kind of and it is uh, a slow it, burn right like for the first like until that i would argue that I mean, it is a slow the, burn for the for the initial like until the part where we basically get the whole revelation and everyone is in one room or the entire giant ensemble uh until that point it did feel to me for like a slow burn and then then it just careens of that uh, you know that in the context of that abbas mustan ending it feels like a slow burn but like generally speaking it's hardly like it felt very like uh, you know plot driven and from a to b yeah yeah, yeah. Like that i argue but i think i think it can be for me it was both at the same time like i was annoyed by how everything was very plot driven but i think that's just a facet of its you know uh thriller driven nature but then yeah i think it still was it did feel like it was building up to a more sinister mystery than just oh we will have an action scene with amy adams at the end so like a huge problem normally i forget stuff but this time i did not like this time i fully knew where the story is going hmm. and uh, which sucks because you know otherwise like uh, it's very easy like i forget things that i watched yesterday right but um, so this that that was not working for me either like i had no there was no suspense whatsoever hmm. like i don't know if it if there was any because that's something i can't make a judgment on because it did not exist for me but like was there any for you like did you feel 
at all. I thought like intrigued by the. Oh, uh, I'm not sure. I felt intrigued by the turn of events, but I was in a way annoyed by how predictable that was in terms of not like who it was, but in terms of that it was coming, right? So the whole sort of hmm. the first star hinges on the fact that they want you to be on both sides, right? They want you to hmm. they want to give you clues that oh maybe she is fine, right? She's actually hmm. seeing this, and then no, maybe she is crazy. Like that's that's how the movie hinges on, right? If it if it doesn't make you feel both those things, then you cannot sort of you know be in that suspense of oh what is happening to this woman like is she actually observing these things are they real or uh, as the other people assume that she's gone crazy she's a cuckoo as Gary Roman's character says in one line basically you're a pill popping cat lady right um, <laughs> so that was working for me <laughs> uh, in that limited context but then when they eventually answer that right they answer the, like, when the initial answer not the original answer but they initial answer that by saying no she is actually cuckoo because of that and they reveal that the backstory of her you know how she, her family died uh, I instantly knew the movie was like not done with that whole plot, plot driven thing that it was gonna go back to that mystery and then there was an added twist to that so mm-hmm. in that sense it was very predictable for me Although the larger mystery of like, oh, that's that boy who was trying to be sweet. I don't know how that in any way, it doesn't benefit the movie. It's just another plot driven facet of it. Yeah. So I was like watching it almost as like an experiment because I knew what was going to happen. So I was kind of watching it very clinically to kind of pick up on like techniques that he was using to kind of, you know, um, throw 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 the audience off the scent almost you know so basic like um, character introductions and stuff like that oh, okay this is how he's chosen to introduce this person mm-hmm. this is how he's chosen to do that yeah. this is why he's cutting back to that uh, you know snowy night uh, does it make sense should he have done that is that too much of a clue um, stuff like that so I was watching it almost as like an experiment and kind of studying the structure of the screenplay but then later I realized that it doesn't make sense because it's one of those screenplays where you know and it's Tracy Letts like obviously first draft is Tracy Letts so I don't know how many gazillion people like <laughs> have their paw yeah. marks all over this and it's mostly uncredited <laughs> sadly yeah so uh, like just some like sweaty like 20th century fox guy on set you know <laughs> so it's one of those situations and you can tell it's one of those situations because uh, like the first time Wyatt Russell's character comes in like Amy Adams is like uh, David you're my tenant <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of obvious exposition. Like that's basically the purpose of many characters, right? Including Gary Oldman, and I would argue even to an extent, basically like like why is Jennifer Jason Leigh even there? Like what is she been doing, Bichari? Uh, so like jo- that, people Jolai like them, like that are basically are like. <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> Yeah, they just basically exist to like confirm, oh, I am Jane Russell. So then we can move on with the movie. But I remember a lot of the twists because there are a lot of twists that are answered in like the final, I think, uh, 30-40% of the story, even the book. And Mm -hmm. I found those to be very satisfying when I was reading it. I was like, oh, that's interesting because there's, it's not just simply rear window, you know, it's also like elements of vertigo, there's... The Lady Vanishes, which is my favorite Hitchcock. And there's a lot of that happening. So, like, reading the book, I was very, very, like, I was fully invested. I'm just surprised that normally, you know, the assumption is that if you have a very solid blueprint, it's very difficult to, like, mess it up. So, I can't imagine, like, despite, like, there are about 
25 academy award nominations in this cast like <laughs> if you like debut <laughs> uh and yeah but that, that, that's what like I've, i've always like la- landed on that is that you know even the best actors in the world like you even meryl streep ca- cannot make a bad script into a good movie it's just a honest truth of filmmaking this is down to the script right 100% because yeah technically and this is the difference between like ribudas gupta and joe right like joe right knows <laughs> how to make him like yeah. as bad as this movie is it's like refined right like yeah. it looks um, it i mean production design amazing. is very good yeah yeah uh, i mean so the guy who shot it is uh, i think the the best cinematographer in the world is in my mind he is bruno del bonel is better than like roger deakins or anyone and that's partly because he works uh, less frequently hmm. um and it's just surprising to me that obviously he's done darkest star which is another just a, this that, is yeah so that's, the, re- that's has, the only reason like gary oldman is in this movie see i see this is the thing with joe right, right? so he's he's he makes like high grade trash in my opinion yeah especially in the last like whatever 5 6 years since basically Pan, since like so since even pan was that i would argue so basically it's like this after he made like pride and prejudice and then atonement he's pretty much <laughs> dissolved into this so this could probably like mentioned elish trash right with like yeah. really solid cast and like with slight pretenses of like oscars yeah. technical like achi- like everything a plus but then everything else huh. will be like jumbled up it is weird and it does like this weird so he's essentially like uh, guy richie na like it's a style over substance most yeah. of the time and when you pair him up with someone who is as skilled as you know like bruno del bonel or someone who's like almost exclusively working with like the coen brothers these days so <laughs> and then you like, he basically do alternate between like the new coen brothers movie and the new joe right movie <laughs> and <laughs> briefly like tim burton yeah so he basically has like really good friends uh, who are really good at their craft but is like not a good judge of the material that's presented to him i guess so there are some directors who can elevate like uh, you know mediocre uh, writing into good stuff yeah sometimes shamalan right yeah he writes his own stuff and often it's very like uh, you know it's hokey and yeah, he's, he's, a, so he's a better director than he than he's a, a writer that's why exactly he elevates whatever material that he's given and this guy is the opposite and this guy is like basically ron howard right unless you give ron howard a great yeah. script he can't <laughs> he doesn't know movie. yeah cuz they're like it's almost like director directors right they're like they're, that's what they know they know purely their craft outside of that mm. they're not on that firm ground like ron howard is a perfect example of that yeah although like ron howard such a veteran like he will he will see a script and he'll know exactly what he does to like improve it and he'll get 15 people on board if need be and he'll tell them to improve it whereas mm-hmm. i don't think joe right has that kind of pull although like certainly with actors he seems to but i don't think he has a sort of pull with like you know the studio or whatever because he can clearly just get kicked out of his own editing room <laughs> as uh yeah that, that's also like a hollywood nature as well like that's a, again I, i feel like it might be like a rudin thing as well is that once that test screening this came like negative i'm pretty sure right 
essentially lost control of the movie then yeah because this isn't like some you know like uh, something like a something that can be discarded ironically it was discarded but like i can imagine two years ago this was this was coming after gone girl and girl on the train which are both very very successful movies and they were anticipating this to also make like two three hundred million dollars yeah. so this wasn't something that they could probably take a risk on and they wanted to like yeah and but back then when there was still a full-fledged studio there was like the acquisition he had even not even like you know gone through like remotely close to it and look at it now it's like basically they so fox ditched it disney ditched it and netflix also ditched it because there was no publicity for this movie yeah i mean that tells is, you right like the fact that disney despite having a streaming service called hulu in its hands would allow this to be like okay let's just make whatever money we can make from netflix because we do not want to put this on hulu and earn zero yeah something that they already owned they yeah were, they, they, were ha- like they were willing to sell it to. off right it's so weird to like play something on netflix which has the netflix logo and then you get 20 century studios and you're just like yeah allowed eh? this is allowed <laughs> yeah this is like disruption like because see if if, if you're it, it isn't as simple as it sounds they just sold this thing off or whatever because there's like contracts involved and especially when you have a-list talent like amy adams and gary oldman etc yeah. and uh, anthony mackie for like some <laughs> for like yeah three minutes here <laughs> Uh, he just yeah. showed up on set oh anti Mackie's like on set that day let's just like get him on I think that's like the Whatever. one way the, the movie's able to achieve this is because most characters don't have to be together right except that giant scene where everyone has to be together uh, when for like five minutes when she has that traumatic backstory oh, yeah, the knives out scene yeah otherwise everyone else is like in their own corner right so you can have like Anthony Mackie turn up for two days you can have Vyatrasil mm. turn up for like three days somewhere else you can have Gary Roman turn up for one day you can have like you know Julianne Moore turn up for like two days somewhere else and then that's why we just put them together and they make a movie yeah I think that is possibly why and like I'm fairly convinced that uh, those long shots aren't actually Gary Oldman like that's some this is some like middle-aged guy that they shot from like 35 <laughs> feet away. You will not let go of this Jet Li's theory and you'll like, start apply, applying it everywhere now. Uh, but like if you listen, you, all those stories that you've heard over the years, like for a hundred years, you've heard those stories that, you know, those uh, big shot stars, they don't show up on set. Like they will actually, like Vin Diesel doesn't show up on set. Vin Diesel <laughs> has someone who looks like him. Uh, I mean, but, but he only does action movies and so yeah and then 90% of action so I'm pretty sure his stunt double is doing more work than he is it's the joke right it's the joke that it's been there in every single like entourage to like any like film business satire like I only like from Tropic Thunder to entourage like you just comes for the sh- comes for the close ups yeah. that's all like, so if you have your close up that day you're going to show up on set otherwise some stand in is going to be on set <laughs> and there is no way Gary Oldman fresh off an Oscar is <laughs> devoting six hours of his day to like just walking around. <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he loves Joe right for that Oscar, but I'm, I'm, I'm guessing he doesn't love him that much. Yeah, he loves him for the three million dollars that he probably made for like three days work on this. Yeah, that's possible. That's about it. But where was my... Huh, so contracts, right? It's not yeah. as easy as it sounds. Like, they just don't discard it and leave it lying on the floor for someone to pick up. It's... You gotta rewrite those contracts, right? Yeah. If a movie is intended for theatrical release... And if it's you're going to, to streaming, yeah. 
Yep. So you're gonna rewrite all those things. So but basically, Amy Adams especially is gonna is, would have expected like a huge, ba- you know, portion of the back cut from like the profits, which is not gonna happen now. So like you have to give her money from somewhere. Exactly. So what probably happened is that they paid Amy Adams. Uh, essentially, like they bought her out of her contract. Hmm. So they paid her a bunch of money, and I'm sure they paid a bunch of money to all the other people uh, as well. And uh, I don't know if that's burning bridges or not. Like basically, if you're saying that hey, we own this movie, we can very easily put it out on our service, but no, we don't want to. Instead, we will pay you money to take you take. all of this somewhere else yeah. does that like take away the future possibility of them appearing in like a marvel movie or something like we just don't want to get into the amy adams business anymore uh like i don't know but it definitely like tells me like how netflix has you know it changed as it becomes so big right like now it's like the reason there is obviously a business reason it's taking this movie right like it it knows the movie was bad cuz like it's not dumb obviously the executives because if they've seen like the kachra that's happening behind the scenes of how the movie got to the finish line so clearly they're taking the movie and for very different reasons right it's they're taking the movie for the same reasons they like have stuff like you know kissing booth or like bridgerton or stuff like that no but i would argue that's not a that's not an uh, ideal example i would argue this is uh along the lines of say uh, girl on the like the hindi girl on the train or like sardarji ka grandson or something <laughs> which is coming out no because you know you have like even if you green light a movie and it turns out to be crap you know how much you want to like energy and money and budget and everything you want to invest in promoting it right and we clearly saw what happened with girl on the train which is like basically just brush it under the rug and let's forget about it you know and There's no promotion happening for Sardarji ka grandson or whatever the hell that movie is called. But like, why and even so, then pay like Amy Adams so much money to get exactly. this movie in the first place? Like, why would Netflix do so that? The, the decision to not promote this movie isn't a new one. The decision to not promote this movie and basically just let it exist in this vacuum on this platform was made when they bought it, and no one negotiated it. Not a single actor was like, "Nahi, bhaiya, I will only agree to this if you agree to promote it." Which is part I mean, I'm pretty sure, usual. like after seeing the crisis themselves, they were like, "I'm not coming for a press tour. This movie is two exactly. years old." There's like a bullet dodged. Let's move on. Yeah, forget this ever happened. I'm pretty sure even Amy Adams didn't want to remind anyone that she exists in this movie. So they're just like, "Yeah, yeah, move on. I have a new stuff to mm-hmm. do now." So this is what happened after um, what's her name, Jennifer Lawrence won her Oscar, right? Because so the, the the movie that came out uh, immediately after she won her Oscar, she tried to bury it. Like she right. actively tried to kill the release of that movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is called it was called Serena or something. Oh yeah, and, I remember that uh, one. That was they also had Bradley Cooper. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it was coming, and they kind so of. Basically, they were like people were like, "Oh, we saw you in Silver Linings Playbook, and we we, we think your chemistry works, and let's make another movie." Oh, wait, it bombed. <laughs> no, so they waited for. This happens also, right? They wait, they push the release or something when they know that the stars yeah, are yeah. going to pop. Obviously. And that's what they did. And Jennifer Lawrence was like, "No, I'm going to use all the money and clout that I've earned to kill the release." <laughs> yeah, because they know for for them it's like for the studio might just be one movie, but for the stars it's almost like. Burning the next two three years of your career, right? No one's gonna touch you for now. And especially for Amy Adams, right? Who's on the single-minded like quest to win that Oscar? I think she has like five or six nominations now. Without a win, and without a win, crucially, and she's like entering like. Kate How did she like, not win uh, for Arrival? Who won that year? Oh, uh, Emma Stone. Oh, Lara, na, aage ga, damn it. 
I can't even fault at that. <laughs> What the hell? She wasn't nominated. <laughs> She wasn't nominated. Oh wow! Okay, that's that's a that must be having an insane year. If she's not nominated, wow! Imagine not nom- seeing her rival and being like, ah, we want to nominate her. Not a great performance. Ass- assume, <laughs> assume that she should have won, but she wasn't nominated. Yeah, like we here we are assuming that she would should have won. Like, see, so she got nomination at the. awards that we do not talk about anymore um i mean the golden globes if no one got that reference uh but yeah nothing else i got best picture and best director best cinematography best adapted screenplay nominations at, at the academy awards but none for amy adams it's like almost they like ha huh, the movie just came to life itself like must picture hai must direction hai must camera work hai but actress what actress no is no actress they aliens yeah the pa- parasite uh, syndrome yeah that 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 happened <laughs> anyway moving on moving on uh yeah so crucial time for amy adams it's like now or never otherwise going to be like one of those career oscars 10 years later hmm honorary award dena padega nahi mera to honorary nahi hoga but sabse kachda performance ke liye denge like she will literally if she oh, does be, uh, she will basically have to do a gary oldman she will have to do a gary oldman <laughs> which is associated with also joe right the director actor incidentally yes yes joe right will direct like aj finn ka second novel ka adaptation for which amy adams will win an oscar i'm guessing she got an emmy right for sharp objects too bad that was not a movie uh i mean she should have that was a better performance in this yeah which is similar right like this yeah it was in a way similar yeah in some ways also uh, famously um wrought with tension that set um mm. with uh, jean marc valley and uh, i think marty noxon was the writer yeah. on that uh i remember she said that they had like to 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 screaming matches or something <laughs> if i'm not wrong uh, but yeah that worked out So maybe she was like, "Huh? Who cares? Let's see. Let's give it another shot." Yeah. And she's been through Justice League. What is Amy? Amy Amy Adams is cursed. Yep. Cool. Amy Adams is cursed. The last sentence then, <laughs> just fitting for for this movie. Just projects also cursed. Um, that's all for this episode of the Long Take. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at the Long Take Pod. You can write to us at the Long Take Pod at gmail dot com. Please leave us a rating and a review. Very well, this episode. and we will see you next week